0: Welcome to episode 169 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. It's episode 169, which is a square number, and that's exciting. We aren't going to have another square number until way far away in episode 196. So let's make the most of this moment, eh? Yeah. With the WTA finals happening this week in Singapore, I'd been wanting to, and very happy early Saturday morning to finally be able to, bring you in NCR land a chat with the boss of the WTA, Chief Executive Steve Simon. Simon, who replaced Stacey Allister in the post last fall, had previously been the tournament director at Indian Wells and came into the job at the WTA with as good a pedigree as you could want in a tennis executive. But in 2016, it's been a wild year in tennis, as everybody knows, he's been thrown curveball after curveball this year in his first full year on the job, both on court with a completely unanticipated and mainstreamly largely unknown new number one in Angelique Kerber and then also Maria Sharapova's suspension for taking a banned substance as well as off court with problematically loose-lipped executives in Indian Wells and Madrid and more scrutiny on match-fixing than ever before in the sport and so on it's been a lot Simon also generated headlines of his own this fall when he said in a press conference in Wuhan that he was considering fairly radical options for changing the format of singles matches in the WTA to include hastening and quickening measures like no ad scoring and even super tie breaks instead of third sets. Simon and other WTA corporate leaders addressed the press gathered in Singapore already in his annual State of the WTA address, one small part of which we'll key in on with a roundtable later, But there are lots of questions and issues still afloat in other realms. So with all those question marks and also continued uncertainty over the WTA's plans after being unexpectedly excluded by ATP Media from its popular tennis TV streaming platform starting in 2017, an announcement of which caught fans of women's tennis completely off guard this fall, uh, there's a lot to talk about. So without further introduction, here's my chat from Saturday morning between the semifinal matches in Singapore with the WTA chief executive, Steve Simon. I mostly want to uh, talk about looking ahead, but first, just, I guess you, you've just finished your first lap, so to speak, on, on the tour uh, after yeah. taking over last yeah. fall. It's been a an eventful year, to say the least, in, in tennis. Just, just in a few words, how would you describe a I, I guess everything that you've you've gone through 'cause I think you certainly got uh, a lot more curveballs thrown at you in your first uh at bat than probably could have been fairly expected.
1: <laughs> well, no, I think it's been uh been a, obviously an exciting first year. It's uh gone gone very fast. I think as you get older it seems to go faster every year. Sure. But uh I've uh I've enjoyed it. Um I think we've uh accomplished a lot uh, this year it's been very exciting and you know it's been fun to watch the um what i i say is the the new generation of player coming through which we've been watching all year and Mm -hmm. and it's come to a culmination uh here in singapore at the finals and you know i think we're seeing um what's been fun to watch all year and that uh the level of tennis that's been played this week has been phenomenal uh we just finished uh a really scintillating match here when uh, Sabakova just beating Kuznetsova to right. get to the finals, and uh, it's kind of been that kind of tennis all week. And when you couple that kind of tennis along with um, what I think are some really terrific women, um, you know, I think our bright our future is uh,
0: is shining very bright. No, I think one of the things that I think you caused some waves with, or raised eyebrows with, was that you had a press conference in Wuhan, I believe, a couple weeks ago, and we just had this mm-hmm. great Sabokova uh, Kuznetsov match that went you know six four in the third and lasted nearly two and a half hours. And you were talking about wanting to make matches a lot shorter than that, I guess, or just or just sort of your mm-hmm. ideas that you're tossing out there for ways to to improve the, the the sport. I guess can you just go over just over those again? Cause I, I admit sure. I was I was surprised because I had not I had not heard that many people talk about. Yeah. Um. You know, adjusting the best of three singles format on tour. Obviously, best of five has been a big talking yeah. point. So if this had been if this had been Dave Haggerty talking about shorty matches for you know Davis Cup or something, I wouldn't have been shocked. But from I don't think people were expecting it as I don't think people were expecting it as sort of a next step, next goal for WTA.
1: Well, I I can't and it's, I wouldn't say it's the next goal for the WTA. I think that the right way to position it was I was asked in in uh, in that interview with respect to, you know, have you given any consideration or would you give any consideration to the format uh, that's being played today or changes to scoring? And mm. what I said was is I, we, we don't have anything forthcoming or imminent, but we have a responsibility, I think, to always look at how we can evolve the game. And with that, what that means is, you know, we don't play the same game we played in the 1930s um Mr. Van Allen introduced a tiebreaker that everybody thought was going to ruin the game and it seems to right. have, have worked okay mm-hmm. and and we should be open to looking at how the game will evolve for the future and our future audience um, and, and how could you take a match like today and which was you know nearly three hours um, and and could that become a 90 minute match and I think that those are things that, we should look at. If you look at the future audiences, uh, it seems as if, and what we're seeing is attention spans are getting shorter. And will our future audience want to sit there for three hours, four hours, five hours? And if you think it further from a tennis perspective and presentation, if you come to the evening session of matches and you've got two, three set matches, are people going to sit there from seven o'clock till one in the morning? Whereas they could have seen their two matches by? 11 o'clock and that would be similar to going to a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game and as well as the health of the athlete so I think you have to look at this and understand that we still have to maintain the uh, the credibility of the competition uh, the traditions of the game and I don't have anything imminent but I just think we have a responsibility um, to look at it at it and and understand it and Make sure that our product is evolving for the audience of tomorrow as well as for today.
0: I, I, I understand that sort of general desire, but I'm just, first of all, I don't think there are that many matches that really come that close to three hours, just to push back on this a little bit on, on the WTA right now. And it's, it would seem like something more, you know, less disruptive, like. Quicking up court speed might be something that could be looked at before changing this match, and and just also with the super tiebreak and the no ad, I'm not sure that it's. I mean, they've ATP and WTA have rolled in in the last within the last decade, I think, in doubles, Uh and I'm not sure that it's that's making the format you know more more snackable or more more in tune with millennial attention spans Um, has you know resulted in a in a explosion of doubles interest. I don't I don't know that it's changed that it's really um, you know, brought new eyes to that format that wouldn't have been there before. I don't know if your data disagrees with that. I'm just not sure that, I think we've, in doubles we've seen a sort of test run of this and I'm not sure that the well, results are there to, to, to do it again in a, in a more high profile format.
1: Well, and I think that um, what you have said there um, is the conversation that should be held yeah. and the debate that should be held. I'm not saying that you do make the change. I'm just saying I think you have a responsibility to look at it. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think you can measure what's happened in doubles because I don't think doubles has gotten the respect or the promotion it deserves to know whether it, it can move the needle. It's more than just scoring um, deals. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the points that you brought up is exactly the appropriate debate to have and uh, the conversation that should be looked. And that's why I'm saying I think we have a responsibility to look at it. And at the end of the day, you may decide you don't change anything. Um, but there isn't anything imminent I just says, uh, and I will always say that I I feel a responsibility to look at any new idea and always be looking at how the game can evolve so that uh, we stay relevant uh, in the future as well as to continue growing our audience wherever we
0: can because audiences do change. Sure, um, and, and speaking speaking of that audience, one thing you guys have announced this week is this WTA networks launch um, officially, mm-hmm. and I guess I just want to ask because it's not entirely clear on this is that would WT networks with some form of that serve as uh, just immediately the tennis TV replacement? Cause I think that was something that caught a lot of women's tennis fans off guard in the last couple mm-hmm. months this fall when tennis TV sure. and ATP media announced that that was going to be switching to uh, an ATP only yeah. platform starting in 2017. And I'm not sure there's been an explicit uh, rollout yet of w- what WTA is going to do to fill that gap next year.
1: Yeah, I think that we're looking right now at where those uh, streaming rights will 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 house or be be broadcast from. WTA Network certainly is an opportunity that will be looked at. Um, we're currently looking at a variety of opportunities and options uh, for that, and we have a um, a very good run with uh, Tennis TV and the ATP uh, Media. Um, we were treated very well there. We definitely enjoyed it. I think it's just a function of making sure that we have control of our rights um, as we as we go into right cycles and other things that will be forthcoming. I need to make sure I have control of those rights. But um, they will be presented. They will come back out. But uh, you're right, uh, WTA Networks is a potential home for them, but we haven't established that as of
0: yet. With, I guess, it's still being uncertain, are, are you – confident that there is going to be a streaming platform available once you know the first balls are hit in brisbane and auckland in just over a couple yeah, months I, now i do
1: not expect that that will be available okay. um for the first quarter of the year i think it'll mm-hmm. be second quarter of the year before okay. that's resolved because this didn't come to a fruition till late in the year um but that's a, that's a projection. Um, and there may be something that we can do earlier, but if you're asking me today, I would say that it will probably
0: be second quarter. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, sort of on that same sort of pattern, I know there's this new broadcast deal global with, with BN Sports that got also that got announced, I think, during the French mm-hmm. Open this year. Right. And in the U.S., it'll mean for the first time in a while that, I guess, it, I, from what I can tell, the joint tournaments like Madrid and Rome, would have separate broadcasts where the ATP would remain on Tennis Channel, presumably, and the WTA would be on BN, which is sort of a, a new format I, that I can remember in my American tennis-watching lifetime to have a joint event on different networks that way. I think it's happened in other countries, but I think it's the first time in the U.S. Just wondering if that's if that's something that's uh, the concern at all for you, just because I know that this sort of combined product of ATP and WTA together is really become the the trend of the last of the century and all the biggest wta tournaments all the mandatories are combined most of the atp masters are combined uh, on the other side and it seems like they've done really well together so going sort of dividing that audience i just i just worry that that makes it a an either or rather than a automatic both which i think had been a a big reason for the success of of women's tennis especially compared to other sports that it was able to be this this co adventure for so long as a package product
1: sure sure well, I think there's a couple things there. Is first of all, the U.S. tournaments, um, who they still have their domestic rights. Right. Um, they're not part of our pool. Yeah. So all of those events will will be broadcast on either Tennis Channel and or um, ESPN. So there is no change to those events. Um, the only events in the U.S. market where they would be split would be an event such as Madrid where we're, BN has their international rights. Mm-hmm. and Obviously, the U.S. marketplace is an international rights holder at that point in time, so that you will have some of that issue, um, and, uh, you know, that's out there. You know, it, it gets to a point where I 100% agree with alignment, but we also have to, um, you know, do what's right for, for our value in the marketplace as well. And um, you know, it comes down to some business decisions that that both uh, the WTA um, and uh, Tennis Channel, who had those international rights, had to make. Mm-hmm. They made some decisions, um, and as a result, um, you know, we've come on up with uh, with an opportunity here that we're very excited about. And uh, we like the growth that BN's having in the U.S. marketplace and a lot of the things that they're going to bring to the table for those international rights where the,
0: um, you know, the international events are being broadcast domestically. Right. You you just used the word international a couple of times, which got me thinking about a different sort of topic of the tier levels and the roadmap um, that, I guess, Mm -hmm. started in WTA uh, 09, I think, and, it, and it's been I think really successful at getting um, a lot, you know, more of the top players to the same places more often in the year and having more matches between top players. And there's been a lot more like one versus two matchups in the last few years, not this year, maybe, but the past few years, than there had been before. So it's been good, but I just think the the sort of tier structure format itself has been pretty confusing to fans, having compared to let's say the ATP events where there's thousand 500, 250, and there's more of a clear gradation, just this sort of nomenclature on WTA with international and premier, premier five, premier mandatory. I, I don't know if there's always the the clarity there immediately. Um, and, and and I guess in, on a different front, um, within some of those tiers, I guess international especially, there can be a, a pretty wide range in the sort of fields you get in the uh, mm-hmm. in the tournaments at that level. I mean, you have tournaments like Hong Kong, which are great, or Auckland that have sort of premier level fields, and then you have some... They only have a handful of top 100 players this year. So um, I'm, I'm just wondering if, if, if sort of looking at that, even just, you know, giving it new names or a, a complete revamp, like you mentioned, you know, score formats, if something more structural to the calendar as a shakeup is mm-hmm. on your mind, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think I've said from the first day that I, that I started here, I'd like to see us, um, you know, think more competitively about our circuit structure. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, the fans want to see their favorite players on a reliable and steady basis, and you know the game that we that we watch and love is built on great rivalries. Um, you know, I, I think that we um, you know we certainly have to focus on the long term and how do we provide clarity to the fans and clear definition as to what they're watching and and the meaning behind the event, which I think is important. And, um, you know these are some things that i as as we said earlier, the scoring that
0: I think we have a responsibility to look at and and we are um one other th- one other thing structure that you sort of inherited before your time was um I guess the sort of big legacy of of your predecessor Stacey Allister, was this and during the Lina era was this greater push into Asia, and you're in Singapore okay. right now, obviously where the the champions hadn't been in the championships hadn't been in East Asia. Uh, before this and and you know wuhan is there as a premier five and beijing is a premier mandatory and there's, so there's a lot of sort of footprint in asia although you know there are challenges with it obviously i mean first of all the time zone is, is rough for me i'm on the u.s east coast now and so that first match would have started mm-hmm. at 4:30 30 a.m in the in the semifinals right. there yeah. which is tough i saw the yeah. end at least so that was good but that can be tough and, and i know some of the crowds in, in wuhan have, have been slow to, de- Wuhan especially, I guess, have been slower to develop compared to more traditional tennis markets at smaller events like, you know, you see Luxembourg and Linz a couple weeks later that seem more uh, acc- accustomed to having tennis and coming out all week for it. Um, I guess as, <laughs> as with, with everything on the table, it's at all pulling back or reversing course on the, the huge Asia move um, that WTA made earlier this decade. Is that something you're, you're considering, just sort of reeling that back at all?
1: Um, No, I'm not considering reeling it back. I don't see us, which I've been on record and said many times, about necessarily bringing more events um, into the region uh, because I don't want to oversaturate it, but I think that Stacy did a great job establishing the Asia-Pacific region and there's many sporting leagues that would love to have the success the WTA is enjoying in, in the region. Um but I think that now our goal with the region is to continue developing it and developing the tennis fan uh, in the region. And uh, it's something that we're you know we're going to continue working on with our partners. And uh, you know we need to we need to uh, you know continue building attendance and building tennis in the region as as the region is evolving and, there's a big move in Asia to, you know, really move tennis more to the grassroots and and make it available for more people, and I think that's all a very positive thing for our, our sport and our games, so... I don't see myself pulling back from
0: it, but I don't see myself overextending ourselves in it either. Okay. You, you mentioned the, you know, other sports being being jealous, and I'm sure it's, it's true to, in, in certain cases for sure. And you said something interesting in a couple of interviews, and uh, in I think the state of the WTA address there, before that you want, you know, WTA to compete, uh, not a, a, against women's sports, but as sort of against all sports, against men's sports, against the established men's sports leagues around the, around the globe. And I'm just wondering what that sort of shift in, competitive field looks like to you, I mean, what it looks like operating as a as a major sport versus a women's sport, if it means, I, I, I mean, there are things the WTA does, things sure. that came to mind for me, it's like something like, you know, basic, like not having a purple and pink logo, or, you know, not having, um, you know, a website that focuses as much as the WTA often does on red carpet photos and things like that, and it's more... About, you know, stats and results and has a sort of easy, robust interface for that the way like an MLB.com would and gets, you know, the sort of real sports junkies into that. Is that what goes along with that or is there some other interpretation of how you actually, you know, sort of shift that gear somehow?
1: Right, right. No, I I do believe that we have to become competitive in professional sports um, because that's the space we compete in for all of our rights fees and our sponsorships and our audience and our fans etc um, we're competing against all those major sports so we need to be now how do you compete in there I'm not necessarily sure the color of our logo um, makes a difference on how we're competitive there okay. but um, you know how we build an audience and how we present ourselves and and, and all of those elements, some which you alluded to, I do think are all things that you look at, but I think it's all encompassing. And we need to, to build our profile and build our audiences and, and get them to the levels that allows us to compete effectively um, in that arena. And with those um, metrics that are that are measuring us, and people are investing based upon how you reach those. So, um, I think it's I think it's all of that, and that's the basis that you're beginning to see at WTA networks, and you're seeing the new approach to our broadcast strategies, and you're going to see a lot of changes in our promotions and our marketing around our athletes and our events and things as we go forward. So. Um, there is there is some cultural shifts as to how we're approaching the marketplace
0: for sure. Yeah. Last thing yeah. before, I, before I let you go, thank you again for sure. for your time here. Um, it's it's actually something off again off a of question you got. I'm um, just, just, just going to sort of tee up the next segment on the show where we're going to talk about uh, issues raised uh, just for a couple among reporters by this uh streaming of press conferences you guys okay. are doing which wouldn't have, which was the first question you guys got it the yeah at the mm-hmm. speech it wouldn't have been my first question but you know it's uh <laughs> but it but it is but it is an issue uh among reporters this uh streaming of press conferences and which has you know previously been the sort of the well that reporters you know right. drink from to build the backbone of their stories and if it's getting you know sent out to the world for free, it, it could you know jeopardize the ability for people to travel for you know trips that are uh, ambitious, often for this media climate, like a trip to Singapore, which I know I don't know if there are any American uh, reporters you know external reporters there for example mm-hmm. at this term at Singapore. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I guess just wondering just what that uh, streaming venture is is worth to you guys. I'm just curious like how you guys measure the sort of monetization crudely you can get out of. Streaming a press conference compared to uh, the damage it might do to the independent, you know, more mainstream media who would give you the coverage, the sort of yep. earned coverage you get in, in newspapers by them being there with a more robust uh, presence.
1: No, I think it's uh, I think it's a very fair question, and and I think that you you know us well enough. Um, you know, we're we're here to to work with with everybody, but. I'm not so sure that the argument that no one's going to come because the press conference is being streamed has relevance. And the only reason I say that is not that people wouldn't make that decision. But if I'm watching other professional sports, all of those press conferences are being broadcast or pretty much available on a live basis. And when I look at that room, I see an awful lot of reporters in, the, in that room and I think the reporters that do travel get some information that the ones who don't and are watching on TV don't have access to. Okay. Um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure our sport is dynamic enough and the stories are dynamic enough that, that the, the publications or the destination that's covering us, because it's not all publications
0: anymore, shows you how old I am, um, you can still use the word publication. It's okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to hit all the buzzwords today. Okay. Um, you know, uh,
1: we will cover us. And if you wanna, if you wanna look at it, is that obviously we're in a transition in our world as to how our news is covered and the platforms that is now showing up on. There isn't as much of the the print, a hard print. Uh, publications or distribution as there used to be. It's it's becoming more digital platforms that carry the written word. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look at it, we had, you know, are we better off, uh, and this is a fundamental question it can certainly be debated, but we had a room, I'm going to say, of approximately 60 reporters that maybe were in the room, and we had 33,000 people watch it. So, are we reaching more people and reaching some publications that couldn't come because we made it available to them that wouldn't have covered us or written about it before because uh, they didn't do a stringer or didn't, weren't here to cover it? So I think it's that dynamic, you know. And, and the, the, one of the examples that was brought up was the Washington Post not being there. You yeah. know, by streaming it, was the Washington Post now able to cover it where maybe they wouldn't have covered it before? I think these are all the the questions that we have today, but i'm I'm seeing when I'm out there watching just about any big press conference that's held is held live anymore and and um I'm not sure that the streaming of it or the broadcasting of it is gonna is gonna hurt us long long term
0: yeah I, I would just i guess i'd say that i guess this, i think that works for n f l which is obviously more of a behemoth. You know, in terms of media footprint than WTA and also those most of those sports are sports where there's, you know, pretty robust locker room access after games and after practices and reporters can just sort of walk up to anybody, any player at all sorts of designated times and start talking to them. And especially in a a situation like Singapore, uh, there's only, you know, eight singles players there to talk to at any given time. So I think it can be apples to oranges. 100, 100%. Yeah, no,
1: I, I, that that's a fair statement. But if you want to take it the other way, and if you're going to say, well, we're not the behemoth of the NFL, so we can't compare it, I almost feel we're more obligated to do it then, because what's going to keep if we're not competing in that area, what's going to keep uh, more editors from sending people because of cost efficiencies? So we're forced to do that to get our news out there. So. You know, I think, like I say, there's an evolution here. There's pros and cons to anything that you do. And I think we have to find the balance. And we definitely want to take care of the ones that come here and give them reason to come. And I think we probably have to do a good job as well of making sure that when you do get here, there are great opportunities for you that makes it worth your while. And when you go back and talk to your editor, he's going to say, okay, yeah, that was really good. And, um, you know, we'll we'll do it next time too.
0: Well, everyone I've heard from who's been in Singapore this year uh, has had a tremendous time. So, congratulations again on seeming to put Good. together a, a, a great event there. And thanks very much for taking the time here. Really appreciate no it, problem. Steve. Okay, Ben. Thanks very much. Later. Okay. Thank you very much, Steve. The one breaking news item out of that interview, which I didn't dwell on perhaps as much as I could have. I think with Simon saying the WTA isn't prepared to have any sort of streaming platform of its own to replace Tennis TV available at the start of its 2017 season, and further, he wouldn't expect one until the second quarter of 2017 i.e. after some huge WTA events have already gone by, like the two premieres in Australia and Brisbane and Sydney, the Middle East Swing in Doha and Dubai, another s- a premier event in St. In Petersburg, Russia, and those two big 5th slamish premier mandatories in Indian Wells and in Miami. That's a lot of tennis that fans are going to struggle to get to see. Well, the WTA does seem prepared to stream, however, is live press conferences. The moment I touched on there at the end with Steve came from a notably tense exchange at the beginning of the Q&A which followed his State of the WTA address with a question from Barry Flatman of the Times of London about how concerned journalists are that streaming of press conferences makes useless their presence and expenditures traveling to tournaments for access. By making perhaps this most essential moment of communication between players and journalists available to anyone with an internet connection immediately for free from the wta insider podcast here's a condensed excerpt of that exchange which starts with barry and then goes to mike mcgraw ceo of the social channel who is an organization which is working with the wta and then mickey lawler who speaks in her role as the president of the wta then steve simon chimes in again at the end the whole thing, and really the whole podcast episode, is worth listening to if you're interested in learning more about the corporate culture and priorities of the WTA at this moment. For now, take it away, Barry.
2: Hi, Barry Flatman, The Times of London. This whole live streaming thing, and specifically streaming press conferences, um, we the journalists that travel the tour are very strong, very strongly against this because... Ultimately, it could end up that you don't have press conferences because newspapers won't send if they can possibly source a press conference without having their man on the ground, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just wondering how... Are you going to stream everything, every single press conference? Mike?
3: Good. I get the first question. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, the, the the plan is to to make those press conferences available to the fans because it is a compelling piece of content that fans are demanding. They want to see those press conferences. They want to see them in their entirety, and that was the rationale uh, behind doing
2: it. I think the strategy of how we make sure that those press conferences um, um, give give precedence to the journalists that are in the room
1: and the the way that they're conducted. Is a is a policy decision by the
0: WTA.
3: We want you to come to every single WTA event. The only thing that we want changed is WTA. Instead of being covered on the last page of the newspaper, needs to move to the front page of the newspaper. See, Barry. If we can get that arranged, then we will um, we will be good. But in all seriousness, what we want to do is is work with you so that we are like every other sport that televises or makes available at least parts of the press conference so that there is this direct dialogue. There's always room for for a literary interpretation of a press conference, and there are very many different angles from which stories can be written about the athletes. But we don't want to in any way impede your work. We want to help raise, move the needle of tennis, WTA specifically, so that your job is actually easier and so that you can convince your editors that you very much need to be here.
2: But just in response to that, tennis journalism is is restricting at the moment. Mickey, your, your former local paper, the Washington Post, doesn't even
3: have a tennis correspondent anymore. Right.
1: I, th- I think to answer your question too, Barry, that's, that's important, is that our world is certainly evolving, and as Mike said, our fans are expecting this because it is happening at many other sports. To further
0: flesh out this impasse between the press and tournament sides, which has been a major sticking point in various forms for the International Tennis Writers Association, aka ITWA, which we reference in here, I invited on two colleagues and past NCR guests to talk some shop, Reem Abulel and Simon Cambers. So very delighted to be joined from two different continents today by Reem Abulele, the NCR uh, Middle East correspondent uh, of Sport Three Hundred and Sixty, and Simon Cambers, Who I don't know if you have an official correspondent title. Is there any? Is there any jurisdiction you'd like? Uh, no, where, I think, where, you
2: know open for hire is is all right.
0: Open for hire. There you go. Hired gun. Simon Cambers, here to discuss uh, an issue that affects uh, freelancers and and full time reporters alike, which is the um, increased. Uh, streaming and openness, I guess, of the press conference formats. And Simon, both you and I are Itwa board members, and these sort of things come up a lot in in our discussions. And Reem has been in plenty of those meetings too, where they come up as well. The general member meetings. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah. I'll start with with you, Simon. Uh, I think you've been in this a little longer, maybe. Uh, I think so. Um, how? Just I guess. How have you seen this sort of um, trend creep in? Of of. What used to be a a more sort of privileged arena becoming more open to the public.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no question that it's been it's been opened up to the public and to everyone really in the in the last few years. I was just thinking, even even five years ago, we've been having this discussion for quite a long time. But it, yeah. it seems like we've got to a point now where there's no turning back. I mean, all tournaments are trying to get as much publicity for themselves as possible immediately, yeah. which is totally understandable. And a lot of people, the way people report, the way we, our job has uh, adapted over the years, has changed to the point where you need to get as much immediate uh, stuff out there as well, be it on social media or, or whatever. And I, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shame in some ways because it is difficult now to justify traveling a lot when you when you can't guarantee how much work you're going to get, and that's that's the main issue. freelancers have you can't always guarantee ahead of time what you're going to get but it's still worth traveling you still get better stuff and you just have to work a little bit harder at it so i think it's just gone to the point where there's no there's no turning back from it and really we just have to adapt again
0: yeah and, and reem i guess i would turn to you because i know you're someone who's very good at getting stuff outside of the press conference arena and you know, finding other sources and interviews and things like that, and and you have a lot of space to fill in Sport Three Hundred and Sixty. You do a, a miraculous job of doing <laughs> it day in day out without fail. Um, and, and there was this sort of premise from the the WTA in this in this answer in this question from a friend of the show, Barry Flatman, who sort of spiked this off. It it's just um, is are there ways? Do you think that having this be open, having this act this the content of a press conference go out to the public entirely does that cut off something necessary or is it completely workaroundable or is it a sometimes not always type situation
4: i think with the with the currents the current setup it's not easy getting things out of the press conference all the time i feel that the more tournaments i go to the more restrictions i sometimes face especially at the slams which obviously this is a wta issue at the moment but in general i mean i know that the us open was streaming their press conferences uh With the setup right now, you really have to hustle so hard to to get stuff outside the press conference. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think that if they want to go down the route where they are going to stream more press conferences, then really they have to give some sort of privilege to the people on site. Uh, because, yes, I do get stuff out of press conferences, and I know that I go to practices, I go go to speak to coaches and everything like all of us do, but it's not always easy, and sometimes there's so many restrictions as well. I feel like, in general, the tournaments want more publicity, but it's such a hypocritical situation where they're saying, okay, we have the right to stream the press conferences, yet I can go to a tournament and they tell me don't take a picture when you're watching the practice. It makes no sense because... it's kind of really hypocritical it's the opposite of what they're doing so that is my problem i don't have a problem i I, at the end of the day i want the wta to have more coverage so i have no problem with them wanting to get more fans online but it's weird for me if that's what you want and then i can go to a tournament and not be able to take a picture courtside or at a practice or getting the access that would basically reward me for being on site and trying to work hard you know
0: yeah, no, that's completely right, and I, th- I think that, that the photo blocking is something probably a lot of listeners aren't aware of. But they, a lot of times, have these very strict rules about reporters taking photos with their own iPhones. That sometimes at practice courts, sometimes it match courts I know like US Open I don't think cares and uh, maybe other ones don't but I know Wimbledon has like you know if you pull out an iPhone take a photo at center court it might, you might as well be pulling out a gun <laughs> the way they react
2: <laughs> it, true. It, it's, it's,
0: it's incredible you got more chance and, of
2: getting uh, a gun through security than an iPhone uh, yeah probably and <laughs> probably and and it's just it's
0: just bizarre to me that fans who are sitting we're right in the arena in center court. Fans who are sitting, you know, one section over across the aisle can happily take as many photos as they want, but they don't let the reporters take the same photos of the same match. And they're not great photos either. It's not like any of these photos are going to, you know, steal jobs away from the photographer's
4: exactly. credentialed
0: on site or anything. So it's just this odd yeah, restrictiveness. And, and I think on the, on the, on the the you know, play journalist's advocate or, you know, the old school side of it, I mean... They're, they're, you know, monetizing or tapping into this uh, this press conference, which is something that we completely create. And they, it, more or less, I mean, we're the ones driving it by asking questions and attending. And I know, you know, all three of us, Reem especially, you're, you're, a, you're a workhorse of attending lots of press conferences. And I do the same. And, and Courtney is another one who does a lot for WTA, obviously, before and after she started working for them. And um, it's something that, you know, they tap into that, but we don't get to obviously, you know, stream matches live or something or take anything that's there, any of their work or their product and, and fully, you know, copy and put it out for themselves. And I just, I just, I just, I'm confused for them if they, if they're getting any pushback, why they think it's worth it all the time. Because, I mean, the number, I, I was just, Steve Simon was on the show earlier and was saying that they got, you know, if that was great, they got like 33,000 people tuning into a live press conference that's fine that's like a nice enough sounding number i guess but if you if you if it takes away articles that are being written they reach a much larger broader audience that can get new people into the sport i think it's a a sort of short-sighted trade-off sometimes maybe yeah
2: and also if if if, uh if if it results in what's being written in the papers being exactly the same thing you know that's no good for the uh, wta either they want diversity they want to publicize all their players they want to get as much as possible So they need to. I think there needs to be a balance, and they probably need to do something in the way of perhaps you know offering some of the top players available to groups of journalists at a time, you know, during the week, and just make their players more available.
0: Well, can you can you explain what you do with what the Brits do with Andy Murray? Yeah, I think that's a a pretty good setup to. I was going to say we're very unique setup. Yeah, we're we're
2: very lucky early in Murray's career. we organized with his management group to get about five minutes extra after his press conference just solely for those who travel around covering him for the british press um, around the world and it's not really restricted it's not it's not meant to be restricted just to british press it's to, it's to reward those who travel a lot but it means that as a freelance i can say to someone look i've got this none of the wires have got it it's not going to be on the internet in five seconds you know this is relatively exclusive stuff. And so they will always take it. It makes a big difference to us traveling. Yeah. No,
0: Andy's, Andy's incredible with his time and, but he, and he's unique. I think he's, you know, I wish they were all like him or all like, you know, Matt Gentry, whoever yeah. the people are, the agent side who make those sort of things happen. And maybe that's the future. It'd be nice if that was the future, but I'm not sure that all the players will be willing to sacrifice it. Just to, to yep, sacrifice, give up that much time. Just
2: to come in on that. The one thing that it does, it also stops, it stops Murray being sort of doorstepped by us. You know, we're not we don't need to grab him every you know, at training or try and get him in his hotel or anything because we know we've got these little this little extra time after press conferences when we can ask something different and, you know, get him lead him down the path that we want to. And it, it just makes a massive difference to us.
4: I think that the the thing is not everyone is like Murray and I think that the only mm. way we can get that extra time is if it isn't a rule book, because the player is basically um a vast majority of the players would only do what they are required to do by the rules.
1: Yeah.
4: So the only way if so, if the WCA which they are, they are moving forward with something like this and they want to start of thinking uh thinking of a way to reward the people who are on site and giving them exclusive content, then they have to put it in the rule book. They have to do it. Yeah. right away as well they don't they can't sleep on it they can't say okay we're going ahead we're streaming this is happening let's figure out a way later because then when the year starts and it's not in the rules it's going to be so difficult to get the players to give us any extra time whether it's them whether it's their coaches something yeah. like that so it's it's a bit tricky because not everyone's like Murray
0: no that that's true and I, I one solution that sort of I thought I thought would be easy. And I know this has been debated. And this is not just, we should say, it's not just a streaming issue because the same, you can swap out the word streaming for transcripts and the same sort of conversation has been going on for longer with reporters being concerned that transcripts were going up immediately from uh, press conferences. Especially, I think especially Australian Open does them, I mean, sometimes before you're back at your desk, they're yeah. on the website. <laughs> um, and so you don't get any sort of head start sometimes there. Uh, there's different embargoes. I, I think the French Open still has a complete
2: embargo, yeah, t- I believe. 24 yeah. hours. Yeah.
0: 24 hours and Wimbledon has 12 hours I think something like that and US Open doesn't have any embargo at the moment I don't think but they're not quite as fast as Australia Um, at least I don't think they are and yeah it's a it's I want one solution on that if the case there is one is just to have like the first half or first you know time like four minutes of the press conference you know transcribed and um and streamed or something and then have Maybe maybe longer than that for certain matches later in Grand Slams something like that, and then have it um uh, have the you know light shut off and the transcription stop afterwards. have a sort of built in Murray style afters with everybody mm. I don't know if that would that would work or not, but it's something that seems like a decently easy solution
2: I think it would work if you if you look at the way golf works I mean in some way, yeah. some ways you don't want to do it because if you've got a press conference of a match that's really the match the result was re- irrelevant, but something big happened in it, you're going to go straight into that. It's hard to wait four minutes to do it, but... Golf, yeah, you don't want to have too much foreplay. No, you know. but golf yeah, golf has... Um, <laughs> the, where they where they just take them through their round, and it's very sort of formulated, but it is like a driver on 4, 6, 10, 12, 18. You know, hold five parts, blah, right, But it gets through the basics and the minutiae, and that's done, and then it opens up to general press, which is not on transcript.
4: Yeah.
2: That might be a way. No.
4: Yeah, I also... <laughs> The weird thing for me, because I did listen to the to the the Steve Simon press conference and the question that Barry asked him for me the weird thing yeah. was the response because the response was like was a little bit aggressive I don't know if aggressive is the I right thought word. so i
0: th- i thought i thought that it, i thought that it was very um it was it was just very not that and I understand that Barry can be seen in the sort of in the in the role he's playing as being sort of you know. They might see him as a as a dinosaur of a relic of you know he's you know advocating for this print style and you know you know week sometimes you know Sunday paper type thing um, that they think is outdated and not part of their activations for future fan engagement of millennials or whatever their buzzwords are <laughs> and and I think that so I, but I think that's just dismissive I think that if you make everything you know destination content if you have to already be a WTA fan mm. you know to want to d- dial into the WTA website to get stuff. Um, then you're only really preaching to the converted, and you're not going to win it over anybody new by having you know solely, uh, I guess, vertical mm-hmm. distribution methods yeah. like that. I don't know. I think I think that I think that there should be an appreciation that um, you know selfishly and egotistically I can say among the three of us uh, that you know that our sort of reporting can bring it to broader audiences. And I'm sure just if that number, the thirty three thousand number that Steve Simon quoted there's for their streaming, I'm sure that all of our stories, you know, regularly
2: beat that yeah exactly With it's no very problem. short-sighted on WTA's behalf and I, I think for all they say you know when you actually talk to them about stuff for all the the niceties that they come out they really don't actually care they just want to get their message out to as many people as possible and they forget that we actually have big audiences and like you said there may be a topic that we can write about or discuss or whatever that will reach a lot more people than those who are just going to a tennis site to read a tennis report
4: another thing is i don't understand why they're only thinking uh it it's such a one-track-minded thing where someone came and told them okay the internet uh internet like buzzwords internet twitter uh, streaming periscope whatever the whatever they were told basically and then guys it's not mutually exclusive it's not one or the other you need to keep what you have and add on it but it kind of feels like they're replacing us with with a few minutes of video online and and just short videos, and it makes no sense because you need both. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's what's bizarre for me is that in what world is it okay to just think okay we're gonna street the press conferences because that was kind of the response was like we're not we're, you're not putting us in the front of the paper so we're gonna do this no yeah there, there's there's this complaint. very ad-
0: there's this very adversarial relationship that in the whole pre- in the whole sort of state of the, the union thing that they seem to have towards press. and If they haven't been happy with certain press coverage in the past, then sort of like, you know, we'll take our marbles elsewhere and go play by ourselves. Yeah. I, I will say sort of, you know, taking it from a totally different lens, I remember, I'm young enough to remember, not that you all are old, but I remember being a fan just as a pure, before I started doing anything professional in tennis at all for a long time, I was already a fan when they started putting transcripts on slam websites. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that was so cool. I remember reading, you know, early on at the Australian Open, especially where a lot of the matches weren't on TV or if they were on at weird hours or whatever in the US, going through and reading like every single transcript they had available and just devouring them. And there is something very sort of, you know, very satisfying about, you know, drinking straight from the from the faucet as a, as a fan. Yeah, and, and I understand that. And they, those do get good traffic for them, the slam sites, I understand.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think when you, sometimes when you, uh, engage with people on social media about that stuff you know then you and you you say what they you what you find them saying is well we want it just straight from them we won't we don't want it put through your lens you know we don't want to see what yeah, you I think we're
0: distorting it. it yeah
2: but i was i was going to say that there's a there's a link to be made here between the wta just wanting everything out there i mean i was i was thinking about the live streaming that is going to come of all the tour matches every single wta match at every level yeah you know, mm-hmm. not right away though because that's one of the
0: things they don't have their their streaming setup for next for 2017 is as steve simon says in the earlier segment here is they don't they don't know what they're doing yet but eventually yeah and
2: they want it done i mean the reason they're doing that is that because they can get uh, betting companies to pay for that basically yeah so that's that's all mm-hmm. they that's care right. about it's just money and you know yeah ex- what exposing the world number a thousand isn't going to get any hits is it so mm-hmm. i'm not sure they know exactly what they're doing
0: no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of reminder to keep in mind that you know so much of the. And we don't think this, especially from an American's perspective. We don't betting on tennis is a ridiculous concept here <laughs> on any any level. But but how much of the sport is just fueled by betting money, and how much of even those you know transcripts are just if somebody mentions rolling an ankle, mm, yeah, yes. it changes the odds yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's it's important to remember that is sort of the fuel of this engine so much whether we
4: like it or not. Another thing that they mentioned in that press conference is that they want to be like every other league in America. You cannot compare tennis to other sports where literally journalists have access to locker rooms, where journalists have way more access. Don't treat tennis, which is like the seventh or eighth most popular sport in America, to one of the more popular sports in America, where there are way more journalists on the ground and there's way more access. For me, if you give me the access... I'm happy for you to uh, you guys do whatever you want. But you can't compare. It's ridiculous to compare it to the NFL or NBA or any other sport. It makes no sense.
2: No, it's, it's also just very American-centric, isn't it? Just don't, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got an American chief now, but, you know, make sure you look worldwide and globally at what everybody else is doing.
0: And I also just think that for tennis, the sort of threshold of what it takes to, the sort of access it takes to make a, a great story or an important story is so much higher so much higher of a bar than yeah. it is in, in the mm-hmm. NFL. I mean, in the NFL, I mean, you can write a story about, you know, so-and-so, you know, partially, you know, strain, you know, third-string defense p- person. This I sound like I've never heard of the <laughs> NFL before, but, you know, uh, strains his strains, strains calf and it's probable for the game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that can be your whole, you know, story. It's yep. just that sort mm-hmm. of little thing that can affect people's fantasy teams and betting and whatever. Um, in tennis, you know, to write a story, you have to have, you know, you know, quotes and original topics with some sort of outside-the-box angle. I mean, none of us are doing, you know, unless it's like really late rounds of the slam generally or maybe a final of a tournament. Maybe Murray is a little different. But generally, I'm almost never writing straight-up match reports. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it just does not how, that's not how it works. And I think that, you know, it, I mean, there's different issues that go into it too. You know, mixed zone proliferation around the ATP, which has sort of more match-centric, you know, rushed, but immediate access, I think would have probably been more suitable back for when that was, when match reports were the the thing that, you know, that kept everyone's toast buttered in tennis. But I, don't, I think that's different now, and you have to have something, which I enjoy doing. I, I, As a writer, I enjoy, you know, being creative and finding some weird angle from some quirky nonsense to write about, you know, instead of, you know, talking about left-handed ball kids and some, or something, you know, who knows.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
4: No, I agree that it is more interesting in general that the right now especially for print no one is going to wait for a full day to know what happened in a match. I mean there's there's no way for me I I never especially with time zones and everything as well with Dubai like I would never put up a straight straight up match report in the paper. Maybe in the beginning I used to do that because also my bosses expected that they're all from like a bit old school british newspapers and they always were like what happened in the match i'm like i'm gonna say what happened in the match but by by the next day everyone knows what happens in the match so that and if
0: you really care you can stream it now <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and watch it live yeah
4: and there's replays as well i mean on tennis tv i yeah. i sometimes watch the replays like full match replays on tennis tv so so i mean it's really hard and everything is usually for me uh, very quotes heavy, like most of my pieces are quotes heavy. And once these quotes are all out there early on, it gets really difficult. And I'm happy to do the work and everything, but at the same time, it's not always easy, it, it, especially with WTA. I mean, WTA co- uh, access to coaches is not that easy. You really have to know them, just have a good relationship with them to, yeah, to manage you need to, to get reach
0: their... them. And even then some of them just like are not the there's this one coach in particular I won't name, but who I always text after important matches being like, Hey, are you around for, you know, to chat about this match? And he's I never once responded, but <laughs> then every single time. And so this literally happened like five or six times. And then the I see him in the hallway, he's like, Oh, I got your texts. It's like, yes, this is this is this is I had to like walk walk seven hallways to find you and you didn't realize how to respond to it. So they're not always like the most easily findable and accommodating people. And that's the sort of hustle you have to do on deadlines sometimes. In order to make your story unique and and i think that yeah and you don't just want to be a a story that is and, you know sometimes you're forced to just churn out the the copy you get in press conferences especially if it's something like a you know a serena or a federer where you're not going to get you know your odds of getting one-on-one with them are very small and odds of getting anyone in their camp to talk even what well, patrick talks a lot but but you know yeah but i mean general, with with roger
4: thing. it's always hard to get any of his coaches in any of his camp I know Severin always speaks when Stan's playing, but never speaks when Roger's playing. Like, there's certain things where it's hard, and and sometimes you waste so much time just waiting after a match, trying to get the coaches, and and then if you needed to file for the web or if you needed to file for your paper for a deadline, it's really difficult to get that done.
0: I was standing in the hallway waiting for Magnus Norman after the U.S. Open final for, like, at least 90 minutes. It felt like after the U.S. Open final, that was long, because they were, like, celebrating the locker room, and there was no, like, system to make sure that he was out there, and there was, you know... I mean, a dozen other
2: reporters from around the world waiting for Magnus to emerge. We spend eventually. we spend as much time waiting for the players and their coaches as we do watching the matches. Yeah,
4: sure, oh, yeah. absolutely.
2: And
0: it's and it's not to not to complain. I mean, obviously, this is a, a you know a, a good life overall we have. I don't want to come off <laughs> mm-hmm. that all of us are set, you know sounding too you know whiny back. I think a lot of people listening probably would feel like we have best jobs in the world, and there's some degree of truth in that sometimes for sure. It's just it's just we want to hope that we preserve this sort of. Um, sort of livelihood for you know ourselves and generations to come and if if it is a thing that's going to become obsolete at some point so be it i'm just i just think with the wta streaming these things which i just again i don't think this is making them money streaming press conferences uh it it seems like shooting themselves in the foot for or shooting us in in our feet which is ruder uh for for little little payoff and i and i like i said i I get the fans like this stuff and i get they like you know having it unfiltered but Like I think Barry said, you know, without us being able to do it, they'd be be at podiums in front of empty rooms or in front of just local reporters who don't always have the best understanding of, you know, what's
4: going on in the sport. I think one of the things that maybe they can start um, doing moving forward is really at least with the players' camps, uh, telling them that it is part of their job and it's an expectation now to give time to the press to try and just give us more room and shows different angles because now that the the pressers are all going to be out there well at least start besides the players start giving us more with their camps
0: yeah no i think it would be helpful if if you know it was something more organized especially around like grand slam finals things like that if someone from atp was just scheduled to march in there and grab magnus norman and uh, becker or whoever it was the us open final something like that and just you know have more arranged things we didn't have to do quite as much foraging although i guess that would make it that would reward our, our hustle less so there's a trade-off but you know it's it's all very inside baseball stuff to be uh to be debated and i i feel like we've got around on this a fair amount any any closing thoughts before i set you both free
2: no not for me <laughs> yeah i've uh
4: no i feel like i've covered it all i'm i still i i'm happy to hustle like like you said that's all of it like we we all love doing what we do uh it's just uh wh- when you have your editors telling you you don't need to go to a tournament anymore because you can cover it from your desk that's going to be a problem for many people not just us but pe- the actual having an empty press room like like barry said is not good for anybody
0: yeah yeah Exactly. No, it's true. And I, I, know, I know one reporter who says that he, when his, when his boss doesn't send him, um, you know, when it hasn't recovered remotely. He always tries to do like a markedly worse job, and <laughs> vice versa. Like when he's on site really tries to hustle to make it seem like, you know, sending him around in the future is viable, which mm. I understand. I, I don't do that, but I understand that on, yeah. on some level, it's being a, a means for <laughs> preservation of this, uh, of this dying breed. We, we live in. So from uh, one, you know, I feel like there's a, asteroid on the horizon and we're all the the dinosaurs and it's getting very dark (laughs) but but (laughs) in the meantime you two have brightened this up considerably thank you very much reem simon thank you for joining us thanks for having us thank you reem simon and steve simon for coming on the show and thank you all for listening i hope it was informative stuff and if you want to follow along when you're not listening you can do so by liking us on facebook facebook.com slash ncr podcast you can also follow us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis Send us emails, questions, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and any other podcast app of your choice and leave us reviews there. We think that's swell. Uh, the executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tao Woolley. Uh, no rant today, but I will briefly marvel at this modern world of wonderful technology, streaming and non streaming, which makes it possible to pull together a show with four people spread evenly around the world in washington dc where i am in england the middle east and southeast asia all to sit around and talk about tennis stuff that's i think pretty cool and i think you are also pretty cool for listening bye guys